please open to Ephesians chapter 3. Oh, there is a link. Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll be starting to read in verse 13. The book of Ephesians. Um, as we uh, start our um, talk today, and you're going to study a passage or get into a passage, um, it's always recommended understand the full context of what you're getting into and what you're going to be reading about. So to know the author and to know who the audience is. So the author of Ephesians is the Apostle Paul. He's a disciple of Jesus. I'll just move off to there. So we have Paul writing a letter here to the Ephesians. Let's see if this works. Yes. Okay. He lived with the Ephesians and talked to them, with them, lived with them for about two years. And now in writing this letter, um, it's about four years later, and Paul is, a, Paul is in prison now writing this letter to the Ephesians. Paul is a prisoner because of preaching to the Gentiles. And we picked that up in Ephesians 3.1. So if you have the chapter opened up and you look at the very beginning, Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Okay, so we know Paul is there because of them. So why is Paul writing this, this, this letter? Come on, clicker. We find by reading through the chapter and through the verse, Paul is worried about them because they seem to be losing heart in their faith because of his imprisonment and suffering. So I don't know if you can picture, I don't really know what it looked like, but I'm sure it wasn't um, the Hotel Ritz where he was staying, and I don't think he got treated super good. I don't think the hygiene was all that special where he was in prison. So here, Paul, has taught the Ephesians, he has somehow heard, I don't know that context, about them losing heart because he is in prison because of his teachings to the Gentile world. And Paul wants to tell them, to communicate with them, not to be discouraged because of this, that he is there on their behalf, he is honored to be doing this, to be in prison for them. Now I'll, I'll read the, the chapter as soon as my emotions let it come out. Okay. Oh, thank you for your patience in coming today. You knew I was preaching and you came anyway, so that's great. The next thing is. Which glasses in this light will pick up? There. Now we can see. All right. Can you stand with me, please? Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 13. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide, can't see, how wide, how long, how deep is your love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may, feel, be, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, you can see. This did not happen in practice. Okay, let's start our, I'm going to just have a word for before we get into the message. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Give you all the honor and praise. And uh, as much as I don't like my emotions, I am thankful for them. <laughs> but I pray, Lord, that you can help me set that aside so that it's not about me this morning. It's not about the time spent. It's about the word, the power of your word, and how you give us scripture like this and a prayer. A prayer from a man who had the fullness of God in him that earnestly cared for those fellow believers that he had spent time with and felt close to them. And I just pray, God, that as this passage gripped me, I pray, Lord, that this passage will grip those in our audience here today also. We, I don't know where everyone's coming from. Don't know what's going on in their lives. But um, when I heard this message, I was really taking that. And I'm excited, Lord, even though I don't sound like it, <laughs> to, uh, to teach everyone, or, or not, I don't know about teach, but walk through this passage, get deep into the Word, to look at what it's saying, and I pray, God, that we can walk away from this service today changed, inspired, encouraged, about what it's like to pray like this for our fellow believers and see them filled with the fullness of God. Yeah. Okay. At my sister's wedding, I had all the speech prepared, and uh, thank goodness none of you were there to see that. I had a pair of goggles because the waterworks are just nasty for me. I was looking for ones that had those little windshield wipers. I thought that would work, but not a chance. So, okay. As Paul is praying in this message to the Ephesians, there's a very important aspect to grab from this prayer. And the key takeaway that I want you to know before we get into the details is this. Paul is praying for their spiritual well-being. And it's prioritized over the difficult circumstances that they are both in. He's not praying to get me out of prison. Can I have some clean water? Can uh, these guys over here, can, can they have a happier life, no persecution? He's praying about their spiritual well-being, their hearts. So I, I titled the sermon, I had quite the time trying to figure out what to call it. Um, I can acknowledge that Dan preached on this at one time. And Andrew taught on this back in July of 2018, so I was good to go. That's almost four or five years ago. So. But they had lots of prep work, which I was able to build off of. The source of the message today, where I received it, was from a video that I listened to on YouTube while I was traveling with work. It's by Francis Chen. And I like listening to that guy because he is just on fire all the time when he's talking. When he talks, it just comes out of the inside. You, you know it's amazing. So I titled the, the, pack, the message today, A Powerful Prayer, because that's what it is. So, we are in a stage of our church where we're meeting regularly to pray for our community. How do we do that? What comes to mind when you want to pray for the community? How do you engage them? As much as we're praying for the community, what about the fellow believers? What about the family that exists in our house? How do we pray for them? So when you're asked to ask or you offer to pray for a fellow believer, how do you approach the Lord in prayer? The great thing about scripture, God gives it to us. And that's a great example. Is it more common to direct your words and requests towards changing the circumstances people are in when you go to the Lord in prayer for your fellow believers? 
do I want to pray that that sliver heals or that toe gets better or you know the, the normal thing that that cold goes away yes but do we engage our fellow believers spiritual well-being Again, it's not wrong to ask God for help in all areas of life, but we live in a fallen world, and as such, bad things can happen and will happen all around us. We can't change that, and that's happened since the beginning of time. It's going to happen going forward. Can't change circumstances. But what do we do? How do we petition? Where do we come from? We engage the Holy Spirit. So again, how can we best equip ourselves and fellow believers in Christ to endure hardships and difficult circumstances? Focus on prayer for the spiritual well-being of our fellow believers. Okay, now I want to unpack this passage, verse by verse, as it was unpacked when I listened to it, and I hope it gives you the impact that I unfortunately had. Verse 14, the reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family and earth derives its name. First and foremost, what does Paul do? Let me just reorganize here. Excuse me. So that I'm closer. Paul gets on his knees. Because he's approaching the Father and Creator of all, the one by which we are all named. Very first thing. We kneel before the Father as a sign of reverence and respect. First thing Paul does. Next, Paul acknowledges there is one God, and we all live and breathe because of him. It's a kind of a neat exercise, all kids in here too. This is something Francis Chan did, and we're like, whoa, aha moment. He says, take a dig, all you kids, take a deep breath. Go. How'd you do that? How did it happen? God created that. God allowed that. He made that happen. Do it again. Sorry, mine's not sounding so good. God did that. God allowed you to move your fingers, wiggle your toes. He is the one, He's the creator of all. He's, he's what we could get on our knees and ask stuff for. Come on, Jeff. Okay, so picture this. Imagine your fellow Christians, I'm sorry, getting on their knees and begging God for your heart and your soul to be strengthened. I should have recorded this. To be strengthened for each of you or your kids by name and that they are deeply rooted in their faith. Let's picture that among our brethren here in this room today. After this day, we can step out Get on our knees and specifically pray for our fellow believers. And we have an example in Scripture. So how does that make you feel? To know that your friend, your spouse, a family member, a parent, a coach, a pastor, that they are getting on their knees before the Father for you. That's one of my goals for to communicate with you today. That we do this for each other going forward. Moving on to verse 16, Paul continues to say, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This one we're going to spend a bit of time on. There's some awesome stuff to unpack. The riches of God's glory. Do we comprehend what is being acknowledged here? The riches of God's glory. 
If you bring yourself back into Old Testament times and you think about their culture, what were riches? What did, if you said the riches of God's glory, what represented riches? They had in their culture kings. Kings sat on what, kids? What did kings sit on? They sat on thrones. Thank you. Those thrones, I imagine, were elaborate. Kings had what on their heads, kids? Crowns. What were those crowns made of? Gold. What else would be in those crowns? Diamonds. Exactly, yeah. Silver. Precious and beautiful things. God paints us a picture in Revelation 4 that I think is worth reading. It's titled The Throne of Heaven. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come on up here, I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and cornelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald. Encircling the throne and surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling and peals of thunder. It continues to describe a picture, a picture of an immense glory. And so here in this prayer, Paul is communicating there is a richness here that God is offering you. Think of a billionaire. Let's bring it back to our culture. We have billionaires in this culture. Forbes lists the top, the top of them. The most common name that you would, rec you would recognize would be Elon Musk. He's number two. You don't want to draw any more attention to him than that today. But he's in the $180 billion net worth, they say. Okay, kids, if you were to stack $1 billion $1 bills. We don't have them anymore, so maybe I should have looked up loonies. If you were to stack $1 billion $1 bills, you would have a stack 67.8 miles high. And one $1 bill is 0.11 millimeters. Pretty big, hey? God's bigger. God's bigger than that. Let that sink in. It's incredible. And he's going to give these glorious riches to strengthen you. Strengthening your inner being, I want to dive into. This is the essence of who you are. Who else but your creator has access there? I don't have access to what's going on in Aaliyah inside, or Andrew, or Shani, or Brad. Roger, that's that inner part. No one else gets to go inside there. You can see what's going on inside there by people's actions and words to some degree, but I can't go there. Who can go there? The Holy Spirit can go there. We have a promise in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. God is providing a prophecy to the Israelites, and I won't turn there right now, but God says, I will put my spirit in you to help move you to follow my decrees and keep my laws. Think, think about some context here again. This, this hit me like a ton of bricks. A person in the Old Testament, until Jesus was baptized and risen from the dead in that scenario, the Holy Spirit now came. In the Old Testament, what did they have? They had visual confirmation, the Israelites did. They had the Ark of the Lord. And Francis Chan brought this out, and I'm going to give you credit because I'll articulate it to you. If you touch the Ark of the Lord, what happened? You guys know? Kids, do you know what happened if you touch the Ark of the Lord? I'm sorry? You died. 
immense power was displayed by God in that alone. And now he's telling them, I'm going to put that power inside of you. Scary, but honoring, amazing. So the Holy Spirit, so strengthen your inner being. The Holy Spirit bringing to the forefront of the believer a revelation of God whereby they can embrace, embrace it. And we get this from an example in, in Matthew and earlier on in Ephesians. This revelation of who God is and what he does and how he impacts your spirit is not something you can teach. It, it's not. It's something that comes purely from, from God. And when Jesus is talking to Peter back in Matthew, Jesus asks Peter, where did you figure out that I am Jesus Christ, the Son of the Lord? And it was revealed to him as such. Earlier on in Ephesians 3 here, you can also hear him saying um, that in, in, chapter, in verse 2, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by my revelation. There's an opportunity here where the Holy Spirit can enter into your inner being to influence you and cause you to be, to just truly get it, understand who the Lord is, understand how wide and how big and how deep His love is for you. So from the inside, we will want to obey God's commands. Well, I'm going to dig into it a little bit more about the power of the Holy Spirit in your inner, inner being. I'm going to quote something Francis Chan said in his message. Often in our Christian culture, it can be about rules. And it can be about rules like, if I can get my daughter to go to Bible study, Awana, and youth every week, if I can get my son to hang around with a different crowd, if I can get my kids to memorize these verses, if I can do this, if I can do this, if I can do that, if I can go there, I'm going to bring them closer to their relationship with God. Nope. There's only one factor here, and that is the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit enters into them and help change them from the inside out so that they become a slave to what is right and desire the things of God, do we now have to worry about them? I'm not saying I won't, but I am a lot more confident about them going out into the world. You don't have to worry about them because God becomes their master. This is this is my desire for all you kids. I appreciate everybody that's older, but I really, really want to see this engaged in prayer. Sorry. All us experienced Christians in the room, we should be getting on our knees. See, I told you, I believe you have to talk later once I can figure this all out. Okay, can't see it. All right. So without God as our master, how easy, is that, how easy is that we can spend all kinds of time and effort setting up programs and systems to help keep our kids and Christian brethren from trouble. For those of us that have been in the church a long time, it has often been said, or the excuses are made such as, you can't read that, I'm sorry. They gave me an accountability partner, but they did not call me as much. They missed about three weeks, so I just went back to my habit. 
Or another example, no one from the church has called me or visited me in the last little while. I'm just going to go back to the, to the things I did before. I can tell you, and, I'll, and I, have, don't, I hope there's no problem hitting the nail on top of the head. I have seen Andrew pour his heart and soul into people. Give it his all. And good for him for doing that. He should do that. And these people, they're not sitting in our church anymore. Where are they? What's going on? Everything was taught right. It was heartfelt. It came from scripture. Everything was there. A lot of work and time and effort. But the reason we went back is because they never really understood who God is, nor had the Holy Spirit come into their heart and changed who they are. And this is why Paul writes, I get on my knees and I say, God, I know how powerful you are. I was going to tell you to read it, but I'll get through it. I know of the riches of your glory, and I'm begging you for those people that I love. Would you strengthen them with power through your Holy Spirit in their inner being, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. Oh, I'm sorry. I will do something quick so you don't have to hear that again. Excuse me. No laps rolls. And it's recorded forever. Isn't that great? Okay, but sorry, don't need to take away from how powerful this is. Paul is praying. Let's continue on in verse 17. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Again, Paul putting visual confirmation to what we need to be. Rooted and established in the glorious riches of God's love. So here we have the application of a seed planted on poor or good soil. And we find this parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 13, 3-9. And I can invite you to read that. But I'm going to engage you kids again. If we go and we plant a seed, and we plant that seed on a gravel road, and it rains, will that seed grow? Well, if you've seen the dandelion, the goofy things grow there. Okay? But when it gets hot and it gets dry, Where's that plant going to happen? What's going to happen to that plant on that poor soil? What do you think? Is it going to live? Nope. Now, if you take that same seed, you walk through the ditch, you go into the field where there's some nice soft dirt, it's nice and moist, rains, it comes up. What are the chances that that seed is going to produce a plant that gets tall and gets big? What do you think? 99%. I like those odds. Better than 99. Good chances. Very good. <laughs> Here's the concept. And I think of our young people and those that I went to college with. As they live at home, as they come to church and do good things, they are protected. We, and we make sure they have accountability. We can keep them so busy in Christian-focused activities, they cannot sin. Yes, they can, but we should try and prevent it. What about the moment they leave? They are no longer forced. What will happen if they are not rooted and established? In high school, I had two best friends, three best friends. Um, one was a non-Christian, one was a Christian, and one was the other girl in my church in small town Gull Lake, was the same age as me, and uh, we went to Bible camp together, her name is Teresa. Teresa dated my other best friend, Greg. <laughs> but the three of us were three peas in a pod. Went to Bible camp, had faith, everything's flowing. Went to university. I moved in with Greg, 
Teresa lived not far away. They came over all the time. Within one month, those two weren't coming to church anymore. Within three months, they were partying. Within four months, Greg dropped out of college. Within five months, they split up, and it was nasty. Our two best friends. We cried. We prayed. We had awesome experiences in, in, in Bible-based activities. They fell away from the Lord. <laughs> At the very first time, they got away from the home. Oh, it just bothers me to this day to see that happen. What do we do? What was missing? So after thinking about this, let's ask ourselves a question. Or ask yourself a question. Could I leave Jesus? Could I walk away? And I take no credit for getting to go to church, meeting a whole new group of Bible-believing friends, having an amazing time in this church. Friends that I still have this day, and I drag Adeline to go and hang around with. They're great friends. We had the most memorable time. Could I leave Jesus? I'm going to play a video for you guys, because Francis Chan can say this with way more life than I think I can. So let's see if this technology works. Do we need to hook that up differently? Oh, thanks. I'm sorry. No, it's no. You give me time to continue keeping my order. Okay. Good. The stats are so bad for our 18-year-olds. The moment they're no longer forced, the moment they're no longer in that protected, you know, greenhouse, it's like you realize it never took root. See, I don't know about you, but I can't leave Jesus. Could you leave Jesus? There's no way. Kill me. I, I can't leave him. He's everything to me. What am I going to do? Why won't I even live without him? I'm not saying I don't get tempted here or there. I might want to straight, but I can't. I'm a slave to what's right. I'm like, I, I love him. He's everything to me. Take everything else away, but I've got to have him. I can't leave him. And that's not because I'm in this perfect, protected little bubble. It's something in here. He's the seal of my salvation. He makes sure that I can't walk away. That, that got me in a significant way. I can't leave Jesus. I can't live without him. I can't imagine another day. I'm getting to a stage in life now where I know I have friends and parents. They're getting on in life and people are going to pass away for unfortunate reasons. How do they do it if they don't have a faith? If God's not in here driving the boat, I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. So I trust you came up with the same answer. There is no way that you could leave Jesus. And again, I personally can't comprehend life without God being deeply rooted in my inner being. To know that I have something that helps me so I cannot walk away, which is the Holy Spirit. Continuing on in our passage, verse 18, that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Do any of you remember that conversation we had in church where we were talking about heaven? And we were talking about heaven from a scale for how it is described, the multiple levels, the width, the height, how it's all built beyond our comprehension. That's a picture of how great his love is. Remember the billionaire comparison. That's how we try and bring it home in our culture. Here we are again. God is so much bigger. Now, to grasp or comprehend implies more than a mental understanding 
It means to take a hold of something and make it one's own. It's not just to understand the definition, you make it your own. I remember struggling in high school, saying that I loved my parents. It never hit me until that first night I left, my car was full of stuff, I'm on my way, school was starting, I'm totally on my own now. I never realized what love was for my parents until I wasn't there anymore. You don't grasp it, you don't comprehend it until you get a hold of you inside and you make it your own. And this kind of comprehension is experiential. It requires us to take hold of the truth and define ourselves by it so that it dominates the core of our thinking. To grasp that love, that's just massive. Can you totally understand it? Nope. But boy, is there appreciation for it. And it's said in a verse that we all know. If you don't know, memorize the verse. John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Does that help you grasp how wide, long, and high, and deep the love of Christ is? He gave his son. Further, John 15.13, greater love hath no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Wide, long, high, deep is the love of Christ. And he's, Paul's praying that for the Ephesians. Get it. Understand this. I'm in prison. You're under persecution. God is bigger, deeper. Verse 19. Continued. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's an interesting phrase. How can we know a love that surpasses knowledge? The point here is, Paul knew he could lecture, teach all day long, but for someone to truly know and accept Christ in their inner being, he could not make that happen unless he got on his knees and prayed. Passing along knowledge and information cannot make someone choose to sell everything, pick up their cross, follow Christ, because he's a treasure to them. Can I teach you that? Did Andrew get taught that when he chose to be a minister? Did you get taught that when you made the decision to follow the Lord? You don't get taught this thing. This is the Holy Spirit coming into your inner being, offering that Revelation, there is an awesomeness that surpasses knowledge. There's an experience there, and we have the choice to grasp it. But us as fellow believers can pray for the Holy Spirit to get in there, into that inner being, and help them. So again, this can happen when we get on our knees and pray so that our fellow believers have strength in their inner being to know Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to touch their hearts. Verse 19, one of my favorite parts of the whole verse, and where, I have a, and where I'm inspired to share it with the church today, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That all of you may be filled with the fullness of God. Okay, here's an example. And kids, you can help me with this. If I am filled with anger, what do the people around me see and hear? What do my kids experience? If I'm filled with anger, what do you get? You get a very impatient papa. Okay? If your parents are filled with sadness, what do you get? You ever watched our young fella Jace over here? When he sees someone have tears in his eyes, that boy's got emotions that I admire. It hits him right here. When you're filled with something, when the cup is full of water and you walk down those stairs, how likely is it you're not going to spill? 
Fold right to the top. You know how you can fill a glass and you can see the water just above the edge? You're gonna make it down those stairs without it spilling over? Picture the fullness of God inside of you being like that. I go down those stairs and I can't help share that with you, that it spills over in my life. I do not know what your goal is in life or what you want to be known for. Do I want to be a good teacher, generous, helpful, good banker, a loving husband and a father? Are these my goals? Are these your goals? How about striving to be a church full of people filled with the fullness of God? Paul is praying for the Ephesian church. I pray that you're filled with the fullness of God to endure. Our lives and our actions are not, if, and again, here's the experience. You're filled with the fullness of God. Our lives and our actions aren't normal. They're supernatural. They're driven by the love of Christ, deeply rooted in faith. Look in the scripture and we see people. Moses. Wow. Moses. He stuttered, couldn't talk very well. Didn't want to really be doing what he did. He led the Israelites to the desert. David. Wow. Had, had to have that deep inside of him. He put on some armor and went after a 10-foot giant. Job. And his kids taken away. Never did he curse the Lord. How could you do that? Samson was blessed with incredible strength. At the very end, did he do good things? No, kind of slipped. God empowered him for a reason. At the end of the day, in his story, he asked the Lord for the strength to do what he needed to do. It was inside and deep. We have a supernatural joy, strength, peace, and courage to engage any situation by engaging and pursuing being full of the fullness of God. There is a man in the town of Okotoks that is supernatural to me, and some of you know him. His name's Dan Schroeder. How in the world can that man be so insanely happy? All the time. And the conversation is never about him. It's always about you. How are you doing? How is your walk with the Lord going? I'm so happy to see you. Josiah, what's it like to talk to Dan Schroeder when he comes up to you? How do you feel afterwards? Talking to a rainbow. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that description. Who here knows Dan Schroeder? He's infectious. Is it normal that we feel like that? No way. Filled with the fullness of God. So blessed to know that man and to see it. So do you know someone like this? So if we're not endeavoring to be Christians, filled with the fullness of God, what kind of picture are we painting to the world around us and to the town of Okotoks? We're painting a picture of a church that is stale, powerless, lifeless. Why would they want to join? If we're not a group of people with infectious desires like our friend Dan Schroeder, what are we doing? Why would someone want to come in that door and be part of our group? Imagine someone coming in that door and want to be part of this group because they can't help being spilled all over the place all the time by the people in this church because you're filled with the fullness of God. Our kids, our kids are rubbing shoulder to shoulder with other non-Christian kids. They'll come from maybe some happy places. Who do they want to hang around with? Why do they go to the Dexter's home? Why do they go to the Duick's home? Why do they go to the Thiessen home? God's there. God's there helping.
So, as we normally end, again, I just, I'm floored by a passage in Scripture where I can read it, go through it, think, that sounds pretty good, and walk away feeling I gave it the right amount of time. There's no way. Look what we just did with these short verses, and look how powerful God's Word is in the moment. As a kid in Awana, we were told in Bible things, lift up your sword, meaning your Bible. I never really understood that. This passage brings that to light for me. Scripture is a sword. It's sharp. It impacts. It drives. It makes things happen. We need to engage it when we're talking to our fellow believers and we're engaging prayers. Now again, uh, here's, here's some co a conclusion and some lessons that I want to share with you. Prayer for the spiritual well-being of believers is to be prioritized over external circumstances. These external circumstances are worthy of mentioning and making sure you're aware of but we must make it a priority to keep their spiritual well-being in mind. Take this for sure as a walk away. God can use your prayers to penetrate into the inner being of another Christian. I can pray into Andrew's heart. I can pray that the Holy Spirit gets inside there. I got nothing else. I, I got no control in there. But I can pray in such a way that the Holy Spirit is going to go into Andrew's heart and he's going to have the choice to take that revelation and engage it. And holy, what an amazing thing when it does and we see it. When Christ's love dominates the core of your inner being, it will greatly influence your ability to endure, endure trials and hardships. How else can we do it? I'm not strong enough. I can lift almost as much as Andrew, but there's, I'm not strong enough. He throws me under the bus, and this is bigger. It's incredible. Endure hardships. We're going to have them. They're coming at us. They're around the corner. They're here till God comes back. How do we endure it? We live in a changing world. If you listen to the news enough, it's like, okay, what's next? Unless we are raising up disciples and children with the type of fire inside that we're talking about here today, they will not survive. Plain and simple. They will not survive. I've seen Christian friends, and it's years ago. This situation that our kids are living up to and coming into Tougher. I know it's tougher. I implore you. I engage you. I encourage you. Get on your knees and pray. If your knees are sore, pray. <laughs> no less. And that's what I have to share with you today. And uh, I got to work through this next part. That I have for you is to pray for you. I'm gonna attempt to get through this. I'm gonna get on my knees and I want to pray for you. And uh, oh, come on! I don't know if those windshield wipers really really helped or not. I want to acknowledge that some of you here today might be thinking, I do not know this. I grew up in this thing. I've done it. It's just been a Christian culture to me. I do not know this inner thing that you are talking about. This thing inside, hearing this, to hear this love, to be grounded in love. I don't know this. There's no fault of your own. That's nothing to think down of. 
because we can pray for you. That you have that revelation. I'm going to pray for you that by the riches of his glory, he will help you to have strength and understand because it's not something I can share with you or talk you into. I cannot give you this knowledge. The love of Christ surpasses knowledge. And then I'm going to get on my knees for you. That you would have a moment where you get it. And you know you get it because it's real. Dear Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. How your Holy Spirit revealed to him how amazing you are. And that gripped him. That gripped him and it gripped the other disciples in such a way that they gave up everything. So they couldn't help it. They were slaves to what is right. They went through hardship, persecution, beatings, death on a cross. We look at that and read it in the Bible and say, oh, please God, not me. We're in a different culture. We're in a different world. But the examples are real, and the revelation is real. And God, I just pray, Lord, that especially for us as parents, our kids may not be there yet. Fellow family members might not be there yet. But let's get on our knees, Lord, and let's pray for them. That they have that amazingly cool and awesome experience where you reveal inside how incredible you are. You love them through every single circumstance. There's nothing they can do to get away from you, to know you. And then I just pray about that every one of us has that in their lives going forward. And that getting up in the morning isn't so tough because it's, it's you're there. And they're amazing. And uh, thank you for this opportunity to teach this today and for Francis Chan and his inspiration, for Andrew teaching, for Dan Jansen teaching, and I'm honored to come alongside them to try and share what it is and how you impacted me also. Every person in this room is a child of God from older to younger and so precious and so amazing and we want to come we want to be engaged with the fullness that you offer us, Lord. What an encouraging and awesome mental picture that is. The fullness of your love spilling out around us so that it infects our kids, our family, our parents, our community as we pray for them and engage them to know you because it's so important in life to make it to the next day, minute, and hour. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this morning, this church, this freedom to be here. And I just pray, God, your utmost blessing on everyone as they stand up here today, that they're changed and inspired to engage that inner being experience with you.